Chapter 15 of The Blue Star. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Angelique G. Campbell, September 2018. The Blue Star by Fletcher Pratt. Chiralkis, the door closes. Brog leaned back and lifted up his cup. As human people age, he said, the most important part of the body does gradually move northward from organ to organ, beginning with the feet, on which you will notice a baby's attention always fixed, and ending with old men who do nothing but sit still and let thoughts go through their heads. Now, I have myself reached the comfortable age of the stomach, for which I give thanks. Y'all! said the first mate through a mouthful of food. You'd put Sir Deckful lower down. We lower, yes. Brog looked at Lalette. Do not trouble you. In my capacity, I am charged with the duty of bringing all cargo to port as safe as it left. A smile twisted his face into the cartography of a river-furrowed mountain chain, and he swiveled round to look hard at Blano Tegful. The first mate gulped once and said, Saving always captain's orders, Sir Cargo Overseer. Captain has rights on a ship at sea. Lalette stood up. Her body swaying with the slow drift of the slung lamp overhead and asked permission to leave, having learned that it should be asked. The laugh began before she reached the deck, Brog's dry snicker beating time to the first mate's guffaw. She had so little lost her resentment at their remarks and the suggestion that she was spied upon that when Tegful tapped on her door in the break of twilight as usual, she cried through the wood for him to be gone. But the horror of lonely hours took her before she had more than issued the words. She leaped up, opening the door and calling that she must consult him. He was to come in. This was a mistake, too. There immediately arose the question of what she was to consult on, and after a blank word or two, she could do no better than ask what the prophet's book meant by denying reason, when it seemed to her that only a reasonable person would read it at all. Ah, no, said the third mate, sitting down and taking her hand in his, which she did not mind. It is the failure of human reason and human love that drives us to the higher love. Though she thought this might be true in her own case, and could even look forward with a little exaltation to the new life in Mansuray. She was unwilling to break the talk by admitting it, so she said, But, Blanau, how can this higher love make up to us for sorrow? On this, he somewhat unexpectedly demanded to know whether she believed in another life than that visible, and it was at her lips to say that a witch could hardly do otherwise, when he saved her by hurrying on. Well, then, this other life itself must be love for us, since we are its children, and since this is so, it will replace all we have lost, and more beautifully, as one does for a child. If you have lost a lover, as I think you must, or you would not be for the Miana, say, it is only that you may find a better. To Lalette, it seemed that this was hardly more than half true and ice-cold counsel for a smarting heart. She started to say something, but just then the door was tapped, and here was Brog, 
with a smile that showed all his teeth. Ah, little demoiselle, I thought to entertain you from being alone. But see, there was no need for my trouble. He leaned against the wall, babbling at a great rate, and not without salt, seeming to take delight in Tegful's frown, which also filled Lalette with so much amusement that she felt herself sparkling at Brock's conceits on such matters as, Can a fish swim backwards? The young man grew grimmer, and at last rising, said he must rest if he were to be a good officer in the night watches. Brog did not stay long after. It was still early in the night. She lay back among the covers to consult with the book again, but after her good cheer in the company, found the volume mere gloominess and dull as could be. Wondering what her manner of life in Manchuray would be like if all were ordered by such a volume, and feeling the despair of a bird bruising its wings against a cage of circumstance, she found happiness forever elusive. This escape and that slid across her mind, but all was either dream or half-dream, and as the rising wind began to rock the ship, she fell asleep. Waking was blended with wonder that one creak among the many from the straining vessel should have roused her. Then she became fully sentient, catching the reason. That single sound had come from her own door. Her lamp had gone out. What do you wish? she called on a rising note, and in the black heard three waves slap the ship before there was an inward breath and an answer not higher than a whisper. Dearest Lalette, I have come to be your lover. Tegful. No, she said, I do not wish it. He was close, but you must. To refuse the gift of love is to lose all. You are of the Mianase. Oh, God, oh, gods, again, she thought. Do men want nothing but my body? The temptation flashed and passed to give him this and live within the confines of her mind. No, I say, I will cry out. She writhed away from his touch, but he found her in the narrow space. The arm pinned her close, and his head came down on her breast as he said thickly, But you must. You must. I am a diconnel, and I have chosen you. I will tell them in Manchuray. His grip was so strong that it paralyzed, but he did not for the moment attempt to go further. Scream? Would she be heard above the rocking wind? No, she said, no. Sir Brog will hear, the captain. It is the watch to daybreak. No one aboard will ever know. No, no, I will not, replied Lalette feeling all her strength melting, though he did not try to hold her hands or to put any compulsion upon her, but that of the half-sobbing, warm, close contact, somehow sweet, so that she could hardly bear it, and anything, anything was better than this silent struggle. No water. She let a little moisture dribble out of her averted lips into the palm of one hand, and with the forefinger of the other traced the pattern above one ear in his hair. She did not know whether well or badly. Go, she said fierce and low, noting, as though it were something in which she had no part, how the green fire seemed to run through his hair and to be absorbed into his head. Go, and return no more. The breathing relaxed, the pressure ceased. She heard his feet shamble toward the door, 
and the tiny creek again, before realizing, then leaped like a bird to the heaving deck, night-robed as she was. Too late. Even from the door of the cabin, she could see the faint lantern gleam on Tegel's back as he took the last stumbling steps to the rail and over into a white curl of foam. A whistle blew. Someone cried, A man lost! And Lalette was instantly and horribly seasick. Part Two I will tell you plainly, demoiselle, said Captain Molvedo, that if it were not for Sir Brog saying how he saw with his own eyes that this young man moved to the rail without your urging, I should have been most skeptic. As things stand, I must acquit you of acts direct. As for others, as employment of the art, they are a matter for a court of deacons. And since you are bound to Mancheret, you'll be beyond such jurisdiction. He stared at her gloomily. As captain of this ship, and therefore judge in instruction, I must ask you to keep your cabin until we reach port. Lalette looked at the moving gullet of the first mate as he stood by the captain beside the bed, and even this sight seemed to make her the more ill, said Brog's voice, dry as a ratchet. Aye, you have my word for it. The little demoiselle never touched a hand to him as he went over, but he came from her cabin. No more rehearsing of things known. We know all except what she will not tell us, said Molivedo. Her body ached all over from lying in one position. Aye, it was Brog again. Yesterday, he was all quick with life, maybe a little hasty, but a kindly, helpful young man. And now, the fishes are tearing pieces of his guts out. Brog's face wrinkled in what might have been a smile, had there been any mirth in it. She turned her face away and began to retch, but nothing came up beyond a few drops of spittle, bitter and sour. Not nice to think on, no, said Brog, but nicer than the mind that would bring such a death to the lad. There's the real black, stinking hell. The bird of Lalette's mind felt the bar shift in tighter. She wanted to cry and to beat with her hands, said Captain Malvedo. Sir Brog, I have acquitted this demoiselle of direct acts. He will oblige me by not questioning, as though the matter was still to decide. If this were the art, no jurisdiction lies in us. You are my captain, and I am therefore even under your orders, even as to the court of the ship, said Brog, his thin lips closing sharply. But I am master of the cargo, of which she forms a part and it is my province to know what kind of goods I deliver. Lalette had a sense without seeing it directly that the chandelier swung twice as she looked at the three and thought, the truth? But how to explain about the trip? What Tegvil had done? How he had demanded the deepest fruit of love as a casual thing, like a cup of water dragging her down? Ah, uh, no, she said in her dying voice, and swallowed again turning eyes of misery toward the captain. He frowned, and she knew it for a frown in her favor, and knew the reason for it, 
and hated him and herself. Sir Brock, he said, I now declare the court shut. The demoiselle is not cargo, but a person. Brog's wrinkles ran deeper. The three passed out, the captain remaining until latest to pat her hand on the coverlet. Revolt ran through her veins at kindness for the wrong reason, which was worse than hate or anger. There was no understanding in the seaman who only wanted to change bed partners now and again. She was afloat on a sea of desires. The daylight swung from powder to deep dusk. One knocked, and it was the gnome-like creature who stewarded for the captain, who offered her a bowl of broth. The motion of the ship being a trifle easier, she was able to eat a little and hold it in spite of the shadow that lay across her mind. But I will not regret, she cried inwardly. And then one half of her mind played critic to the other, and cried, No, no! Is there no surcease? The hours slid by along a silent stream, and she was alone. Part three. All the movement ceased. Sickness dropped from her like a veil, and from beneath burst such a joy of spirit as Lalette had rarely known, so that she could have sung herself a song, as she almost leaped from her place to put on the new dress. There was no mirror and she had to feel the strands of her hair into the demoiselle's knot, hoping the result would not look too recklessly wild. Outside the deckhouse, shouts and confused orderly trampings were toward, but no one came to call for her until long after she had packed everything into the small trunk with the book Tegville had given her at the bottom. The door was tapped. Brog, followed by a man with a red peaked hat and a fur of side whisker, who held an annotation roll in his hand. This is the demoiselle Eistensteg, said Brog, and Lalette reflected incontentedly that it was hard to distinguish an appearance of melancholy in a face from one of dissipation. I transmit her to you. She is recommended from Sir Kimred, the residentialist at Netznegan. He handed the man in the hat a folded letter. It is my duty to warn you that in this ship she has been confined on suspicion of man-murder through witchery. In the home country, I would have brought her before a court of deacons. The Dunnier bowed, as unsmiling as Brog himself. Then, with his annotation roll as a wand, touched Lalette on the arm and her little trunk. This is not Dosola, but Manchuray, he said subject to the regulations of the realm of Manchuray and the association of the Mianase. We accept her charge and her possessions. Then, turning to Lalette, in the name of the God of Love, come with me. Knowing barely the name of these Mianase, I'm willing to ask more, lest she somehow tip over the razor-narrow bridge of safety. Lalette only smiled and turned to the door. A plankway led to the dock. The sun shone yellowly upon a row of wharf-side houses, whose brick looked as though streaked with wet, while at many windows there was bunting as though for a festival, but much of it faded, miscolored, or torn. As she watched, she brushed against the hand which had been held out to her, 
and was beginning to fall in disappointment. Captain Mulvado. I am sorry, she said, and took the hand. Farewell, demoiselle. I do not believe it. If you are not accepted here, I—that is— He seemed at the edge of tears, a droll thing. Thank you. I will remember your kindness. Brog was in the rear, looking right past her, as she had the dreadful feeling that when she was gone, he would have no trouble in bringing the captain to his own point of view on her. This was goodbye to all yesterdays. She mounted the plank for the shore. There was a great press of people about, the men in loose pantaloons hanging over their shoes, and all walking about and yammering as fast as they could. They seemed unreasonably excited, as though this were a day of crises. Lalette could hardly make out a sign of that calm assurance that seemed to be the mark of the Amorosians in her own country. They stared at Lalette, the more when two of the guards who waited at the plank with short bills in their hands, and the small city arbalest strapped to their backs, placed themselves on either side of her at a word from the Danier, leading across to a building with a low door, over which was a shield painted thickly with something that might be a pair of clasped hands on a field of blue. There was a door down the hallway rightward, with a little man at a desk behind it, writing laboriously, his tongue in his cheek as the light struck over his shoulder. The guards led Lalette in. He jumped up and threw down his quill so rapidly that a blot was left on the paper. She noticed food stains on his jacket. You must not interrupt. Really, you must not interrupt me unannounced, he said. You are not authorized. I am a protostylarion. His big pop eyes with blue-white seemed to swell as they fell on Lalette. One of the guards laid a paper before him, saying, A candidate for the Mianese, on the incoming ship from Dosolo. Orders of the Dunier. Ah, ah! The protostylarion was no taller than she herself as he came fussing importantly around the desk to move a chair two finger lengths for her convenience, then diddled back to his place. The paper made him frown. Ah, ah, suspicion of the art. This does not happen often these days, but you are very fortunate to be here, demoiselle, instead of in Dosola. Ah, you have read the first book of our great leader and prophet. Answer me now. The misfortune of the loss of patrimony. Why do you think that came upon him? Not quite sure whether he meant the character in the book or the prophet's own ejection from the airship of Dosola, Lalette said hesitatingly, Why, sir, I, I suppose it would be because he tried so arrogantly to increase it. Admirable, admirable. Whereas if he had given of it freely to the old aunt, it would have been returned to him in high measure from which we learn, demoiselle, the jargon was distasteful, but that we must lovingly give all we have, said Lalette, remembering. The protostylarion bounced up and down behind his desk as he went on, prompting her replies in his eagerness, so that it hardly mattered how little she had read of the famous first book. A porter came blundering into the midst of the colloquy, with her trunk on a hook over his shoulder. This placed a period to the examination, for now the protostylarion fussed with his hands, said, Ah, ah, 
two or three times more than to the guards. You are released. As the pair filed out, he drew from his desk a large ledger and a sheet of blue-colored paper, pointed his quill and said, You swear that whatever the art you have practiced in the past you will abandon with all worldly vanities on reception into the high order of the Mianase, all in one breath. Then, more judiciously, Your name is? Lalette. Should she say Eistensteg? Ah, you made an evasion. The god of love demands all truth from those who come to him. She felt a cheek spot heat at this nagging. Asterax, I have given you nothing but truth. If you doubt it, I will return to the ship that wrought me. Oh no, oh no, my dear demoiselle, you must not mistake. All the pasts are buried in the world of love. Well, I have done that. And they will welcome you, I am sure, my dear demoiselle. Oh, the perfect peace. His pen went scratch, scratch, skipping from ledger to paper, the head cocked on one side as he surveyed the result from one angle, then another, as an artist might look at a drawing, and a smile approved. A fly buzzed in the room. So, Demoiselle Lalette, you are now registered of the honorable estate of the Mianase in the service of the God of Love. He trotted around the desk to hand her the paper with a red seal on it. Rest here, rest here. I will seek a porter to lead you to the covertine. What would he say if he knew I am a murderess, she thought, and followed this with a quickly suppressed flash of anger at Tegville for having made her one. The protest came back with a porter who grinned at her fine new dress and picked up the trunk. Farewell, farewell, said the little man, waving from where he sat. You will hardly need a carriage. It is not far. He was writing again as Lalette followed the porter through the door. A little recovered from her chagrins, she turned eyes about the street to see what this strange law of the prophet had made of the country that was to be her new home. The streets seemed wider than those in most of the cities of the ancient motherland, but the new life would have little to do with that nor with the height of the buildings, which mostly gave red brick from that Snegon's gloomy dark stone. The shop windows were full of goods. Lalette could hardly pause to inspect, for from the distance they had an air of meretriciousness and false luxury. All the people seemed to be in a great hurry. Lalette began to wonder what they would do if she put a small witchery on one of these urgent passengers to make him stand like a post, then shuddered away from the thought. The porter turned a corner, and they were at the gate of what had evidently been at one time a very handsome villa, set back deeply from the street, with a low wall in front of it. One of the trees in the foreyard was dead, and another so yellow among the spring of green leaves that it must soon go as well. There was no gate tender. The porter pushed his way in, and led up to the tall oaken double door, which showed scars where an earlier knocker had been taken off, replaced by one in the form of a sun with spreading rays. He knocked. After a long moment, an old woman opened on a darkish hall with a pronounced odor of javelle and asked what was wanted. I am registered of the Miana, say, said Lalette, extending her paper. You must give it to the matron, said the bell dame. Set the box there. 
Two obulas, said the porter, and as Lalette produced her purse, shot a swift, suspicious glance at the old woman. No, not in Dulcelin money. Do you want me to be thrown into a dungeon? Lalette flushed. It is all I have. I only arrived from there yesterday. Can someone change it for me? She appealed to the woman who had admitted her. Certainly not. It is contrary to the regulation. The porter rather surprisingly lost his temper. Why, you cheap whore, you cheat, you pig-sucker, he shouted. I should have known better than to carry for one of you, Miana say, he stamped his foot. I'd take your dirty box and throw it in the street if I didn't know the smell would kill half the people in town when it burst open. A door opened on a sound of feminine background voices. There appeared a woman in black, with hair piled severely close to her head. What is this, Marcella? she asked. Demoiselle is new. She came without two obulas to pay her porter. The dark woman reached to the purse at her belt, drew forth coins, and placed them in the porter's hand. Here, you are never to appear at this culvertine again. She turned to Lalette. You may come in and show me your paper. It is evident that you are in need of instruction. As they passed into the side room, light fell on the woman's face, and Lalette saw that, although it was both strong and stern, it bore the same expression of distant peace she had seen in the widow Damajaic. End of chapter 15 Recording by Angelique G. Campbell, September 2018